Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Amen. You can take a seat. I read a story this week that I thought I'd share with you. There was a pastor at a small rural church in the country, and he'd been in his congregation for a little while, and man, he just loved his people. So one day he got from the pulpit. He said, look, I want you to know how much I love and care about you. I'm always here for you, and I want to to give you my cell phone number, my home phone number. If anything happens, I want you to be able to contact me morning, noon, or night. I'm going to be here for you. So we gave it out about three weeks later, about three o'clock in the morning, his phone rang. It took him a little while to answer. He was a little bit delirious. He stayed up a little bit late that night. He answered the phone and one of the most sweet, precious old ladies was on the other end, Miss Ella May. Miss Ella May said, Pastor, he said, what is it? Are you, everything all right? If something happened? Are you in the hospital? What's wrong? She said, oh no, everything's fine. She said, I just, I can't sleep tonight. Pastor was just a little bit confused. Why are you calling me at three o'clock in the morning telling me you can't sleep? He said, okay, but I I don't know what I can do to help you. I don't know how, there's not nothing I can do. In the sweetest voice, she said, will you preach to me for a little while? Listen, that has nothing to do with today's message. I just want you to know some of you get your best sleep in church. And I just, I thought I'd bring it all out that we can see it and know about it. That's terrible. I shouldn't have said that. We'll we'll press on. Uh, We're pressing on in our series called Fruit of the Spirit. And this morning we are looking at what might be um, the most underrated fruit of the nine. If I was to ask you this morning, of, of, of all the fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, um, man, I always forget it after these, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, of all these nine, what would you say would be the one that you need to improve on the most? What's the one that you have the most room to grow with? Now, if we were to have a big polling session here, most of you'd be like patience. Billy, I need patience in my life. Others of you, um, especially if you struggle with little Debbies as much as I do, it's going to be self-control. Um, self-control would probably be a big one. Uh, some of you are going to be kindness. It's like, Billy, I'm just not a kind person. Other people are going to be like, I just need more joy in my life. I-, I believe at the very bottom of that list, you'd probably find we would all camp out on this thing called Goodness, and it's not because we're not we're just bubbling up with goodness. I think it has more to do with this is just one fruit that is the most least likely for us to understand and comprehend. And I think the reason that is is because of how we use it, the, the word good, our verbiage in our world today. Have you realized how much we use the word good like it's going out of style? Everything's good, is it not? A cup of coffee is good. It was a good day, it was a good deer, it was a good movie, it was a good service. Parents, more than likely, when you were dropping your kids off to children's church one day, you told them as they were coming in, like, hey, be good today. Going to school, every morning they get off, like, hey, be good today. Now, what I do when I drop my kids off my grandparents, I say, hey, do what you want to do at your grandparents' house, because you're going to do it anyways. If you want to be bad, go ahead and be bad. But we always encourage them to be good, right? It's an act, it's what we we do. When I was in middle school, um, I'd say middle school, it might have been fifth grade, um, I, I learned about this fantastic trick in school, and I, and I just couldn't figure out how I needed to bring it into my everyday life. You see, there was these things called Mentos, Mentos, the fresh maker. Now, now, the white ones, they're special, they're magical. 
I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but you can take the white ones and you can put them in a caffeinated like Dr. Pepper or Coke and you drop them in there and it just bubbles up. We learned this in science class. And if you put them in a two liter and you get a tube and you put them all in there, it like shoots out like a volcano. It's absolutely amazing. Well, the problem was about that time, my parents got on this big kick of going to family reunions. Like we had a family reunion every weekend. Like we were, I'm like, I don't know. We know have all these people in our life. Like I don't even know who these people are. Well, all of a sudden, usually if you're the young one there, you get pretty bored. So one day, me and my lack of goodness in my life, um, I, I told me, Mom, like, hey, can we stop by the convenience store? I need a snack. She goes, well, yeah. So I went in, and she came in with me and bought Mentos. And she said, why didn't you get the colored ones? They're, they're sweet. They're candy. Why do you want to get these mint ones? They're nasty. I said, I just I like them better. I lied, all right, people? I lied. Now, what I'm about to tell you, listen, if you judge me, I say this all the time, but I ain't coming back. Like, I'll leave y'all high and dry. I bought the white ones, and I would go around to the family reunions, and I'd sit at the table. Well, there was always some older people that want to come and have a conversation with you. So they're talking and talking and carrying on a conversation. Well, I'd have that Mentos ready, and they'd have that cup over there of Dr. Pepper or Coke. Well, I would, like, look around. They would look around, and I'd drop it in there. Hey, listen. When this cup started bubbling over, they had no idea what was happening. No, I, I mean, the confusion on their face was like, I, I, they were like, did I spill it? Why is this stuff bubbling up? Now, listen to me. It's funny, but it's not goodness. I just want you to know that, that I've struggled with goodness throughout my entire life. We use the word good in, in every way, shape, or form that we possibly can And I think that's one of the reasons that we struggle so much with this word today. What is goodness? What what, what does that even mean? Most people think goodness is what we do. It seems like goodness is kind of the kissing cousin of kindness. But Paul in Galatians 5.22, and really our main text for this entire series, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Look at this. Kindness and goodness. Paul comes and he gives us two different words here, goodness and kindness, and he does this because there's a huge distinction between the two. Last week, we talked about the topic, the subject of kindness. Kindness has more to do with, with what we do. It's an action. It's, we labeled it this way. It's love in action. But goodness is something completely different. Goodness is more about what's on the inside. Hey, listen to me today. It's about your integrity and character. It's what's on the inside. Goodness has very little to do with what you do and more about who you are. And here's the beauty of this. When you have goodness on the inside, the right things are always going to manifest themselves on the outside. Does that make sense here this morning? If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Goodness is who you are and kindness is what you do. The, The difference between the two is goodness is who you are and kindness is what you do. Goodness is on the inside and kindness is what comes out on the outside. So, so Paul, in this passage of scripture, he tells us that one of the fruits that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life and in my life is the fruit of goodness. In the Greek, that word is called agathusene. It's used about four times in scripture. And here's the definition of, of, of what it means. Uprightness of heart and life. Uprightness of heart and life. If you were to translate uprightness, it means honorable and honest. An honorable heart, an honest heart, an honorable life, and an honest life. Hey, fellas, can I ask you today, how are you doing with an honorable heart? How are you doing with an honest life? Ladies, if I could pose you kind of the same question, how is your integrity and character? 
It's something that we don't think a lot about because we can paint ourselves to look in such a way that it looks like we have good integrity. It looks like we have good character. But on the inside, you'll always find out what's on the inside because it always manifests itself on the outside. I read a story this week that cut me to the core. I want to share this with you. In 1805, there was a number of Indian chiefs and warriors, and they met in council at Buffalo Creek, New York, to hear a presentation of the gospel, the presentation of a Christian message by a Mr. Cram from the Boston Missionary Society. After the sermon, a response was given by Red Jacket, that's one of the chiefs, leading chiefs in the area. He said a lot of things, but of all the things he said, this is the one that struck accord with me. He said this, brother, it's on the screen. I want you to follow along. Brother, you say that there is but one way to worship and serve the great spirit, the God we serve. If there is but one religion, why do you white people defer so much about it? Why not all agree as you can all read the book? Here it comes. Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. You have been preaching the message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in this place to these white people. Listen to me. He goes on. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider... Again, what you have said. In light of what Chief Red Jacket just said, I want to propose a question to you today. What if everyone waited to see what effect your beliefs, what we're preaching about here today, had on you before they decided to accept it? Let let me say that one more time. What if there are people inside your family, inside your homes, inside your workplaces, inside your community that were waiting to respond to the gospel that you talk so much about? They were waiting to see if it truly made a difference in your life. Does it? Does what we preach about here, what we read about here, truly make a difference in your life? How many people would accept what we believe, what we talk about, based on them watching and observing the difference it's made in your own life? I think one of the better questions that, um, that we need to ask ourselves today is, what if you were standing before God today and you asked God to judge you according to your integrity and character? How would you do Would you be proud? Would you be broken? Would you be like, there's more stuff that I need to do? I want to show you why this is so important. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bibles, no worries. It's going to be up on the screen. If you've ever spent any time reading uh, reading 1 Peter, uh, then you know that what Chief Red Jacket said is really what the Apostle Peter said. That They both said the same thing. Hey, church family, I just want you to know that there are people who are watching every move of your life, everything you say, everything to do, everything that you do to see what kind of difference your faith makes in your own life. There are people that are always going to watch you. First Peter chapter one, verse two, first Peter two, 12 says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That word see in that passage of scripture, a better word for it would be the word observe. 
observe. It's not just this, hey, did you see that cow in that field? Hey, did you see the duck that was on the water? It's more than that. It's you watching intently and purposefully. It's someone who's taking notes, man. They're watching every move you make. They're looking at everything you do and they are observing you. Here's the truth you need to know. Unbelievers are going to watch every move you make. They could care less about anybody else, but they are going to watch you a Christian because they want to see if what you say you believe is really playing out in your life. I'll never forget, I started work, I left the Baptist bookstore in Texarkana, was working, uh, printing curriculum, and I went to work for the highway department. Everybody knew I was a pastor there at the time, and um, um, when in, I had just this big goal, like, man, Billy, you're going to make a difference in these people's life, you're going to go in, you're coming from, you're a pastor, you just got saved, you work at the Baptist bookstore, like, you can't get more spiritual than that, people. So I had this belief that, Billy, we're fixing to step into the highway department, and man, we're fixing to just get everybody saved. I made it three days, and I was cussing like a sailor. Like a sailor. I'll never forget, we were playing dominoes at the table during lunchtime. His name's Terry Stewart. I'll never forget him. This man could cuss in more colorful ways than I'd ever seen before. Like, I was a rookie. This man was a pro. And he called me out one day. He said this. I'll never forget it. He said, you made it here three days, and we broke. Three days. I'll never forget, I went and called my youth pastor at the time. I said, man, I've blown it. I'm supposed to be different than all these people. God calls me to, and here I am. I look just like them. I said, I've run my testimony. He said, you didn't do good, but your testimony's not run. He said, man, if you can come back for this, they're going to notice a difference in your life because they're always watching. It took a year, a year Three days to start cussing, a year to get to the place where I quit cussing. A year. And I've always been curious, why were they so worried about what I do? You're a pastor. You're a Christian. You call yourself a believer. Man, this is exactly what Chief Red Jacket said. Hey, they want to watch and see if what you say matches up with what you do. They want to watch and see that if your behavior matches your beliefs, they want to watch and see if your character matches your confession. They want to see if what you say you believe on Sunday really makes a difference in your Monday. They want to see if your walk matches your talk. This isn't original with me. I stole it from somebody else, but I'll put my name on it. It's been said before that your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. It's a mouthful if you want to say it. I'll say it one more time just so you can write it down. Your walk talks the way you do life and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Your walk, the way you do life, talks much louder than the way that you talk. I don't think we're supposed to put any of these nine traits in in kind of the most important. I think that would be pretty bad of us. But I think that if we were to rate these goodness, I think it starts out on the bottom. But as we walk through this, we're fixing to see that goodness should probably be at the top of that list. The greatest mark of any Christian, the greatest mark of any believer needs to be the fruit of goodness, a life that is committed to integrity and character. Why is this so important? Because there are people who are always watching you. And if your life isn't all that different from theirs, if your life looks pretty similar to theirs, then what you believe amounts to nothing. Man, that's really what Chief Red Jacket wanted to see in the white people. Does this gospel, does this Bible really make a difference in your life? I've shared this story before, but my dad, 
My stepdad, who, he's my dad, uh, man, he was, on the weekends, he was somebody completely different. We grew up on the river. We grew up fishing and duck hunting and did everything else. But Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock when he got off work, he went to the rock store. And he bought two cases of Miller Lite every Friday. And he would drink Friday starting at 5 o'clock on his way home because he's a good dad. He'd get home, and he would drink all night long. I remember he'd sit in his old Jeep, a Jeep Jamboree, and he had a big 10-inch subwoofer in the back, and he had a lot of speakers. And he'd sit, and he'd listen to all these old cassettes of all these singers and everybody else. And he'd be like, come out here and listen to this song. And he'd be just drinking. One o'clock in the morning, my mom would come, and she'd flip the porch light on because his music was getting loud. That meant turn it down. He'd come in. He'd go to sleep about 2 o'clock. He'd wake up at 5 o'clock. He'd go get in the boat, get on the river, and run all day long on Saturday. Saturday night, he would come home, and he's still drinking this entire time. He'd come home on Saturday afternoon. At midnight was his cutoff time. At midnight, he'd lay in the bed Sunday, and he'd recoup all day. Now, during the week, man, we'd go play basketball together. We'd hang out together. He didn't drink. But here's what happened. My dad got saved. My dad at work was somebody completely different. But when my dad got saved, my dad got saved. So much so that the following weeks from January to about March at our church that we had, we saved two pews that were his pew and the pew behind him because there was somebody that was going to come from his work. Why? Because something happened to my dad and how he used to be wasn't how he was anymore. Man, he would talk about Jesus, the Bible, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. The goodness made a difference in his life. And it impacted not just his life, but everybody else. I, I want to give you two things that you need to know about goodness. If you were to do a word count on the word good, you're going to find out pretty quickly that the Bible has a lot of good in it. Your King James Version here today has more than 700 references to the word good. And almost every one of those are connected to the goodness of God. Here's what I want you to know. If you're taking notes, write this down. Goodness begins with God. Goodness begins with God. Goodness starts with God. I love the old hymn, God, you're so good. You remember? God, you're so good. Singing to you today, church. God. You're so good, you're so good to me. Do you remember singing it? Are we singing that in here in a minute? Are we? Man, ain't God good. Look at there. I'd almost say we planned that, but I don't really think we did. We, we sang that song and we talk about the goodness of God and we say it and we know it. But I think that there are times and days that we don't fully understand the goodness of God and this attribute of God. When it comes to God, the Bible defines God's goodness in two ways. One has to do with who he is, his character, and the other one focuses on what he does, his actions. One of the best scriptures you need to write down is Psalms 119.68. Listen to this. You are good and you do what is good. God, you are good and what you do is good. The first part of the verse tells us that God, by his nature, is good. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? God is the original definition of good. Goodness is what naturally flows out of God. Jesus echoed the same thing in Luke 18, 19. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. First John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The, the, the truth of today is God is good. It, it means that there is no evil in him. Hey, listen, his intentions, his motives are always good. God is always going to do what is right, what is fair, and what is just. 
His, the, the plan that he has, the outcome of his plan is always good. Listen to what Genesis 50 verse 20 says. Talking about Joseph, as for you, you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Man, church, I don't know if you realize this, but God can only create good things because he is completely good. You see this in the story of creation. Every day that he came, at the very end, the tagline on it was everything he saw was good. Everything he saw was good. James chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Hey, so hear me this morning. When I say God is inherently good, it means that God always acts in accordance to what is right, what is true, and what is good. Goodness is the makeup of who God is. And he cannot and he will not ever contradict his nature. But here's what I want you to see. When it comes to you and when it comes to me, the Bible tells us something completely different. Matter of fact, the Bible paints us in a completely different light. John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The goodness has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because of the works are evil. Romans 3.10, and we talk about this a lot. It's one of my favorite verses. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one. No one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. See the difference between God and you? Hey, it's huge. God is good, and you're not. Happy Sunday. God is, goodness flows out of him. The things that flow out of us, hey, listen, they're not good. Ever. For a while. So when God... One of the other things that I was captivated this week about was the difference in God and the difference in us, how good he is and how bad we are. We even see God's goodness in the salvation plan. You see, because God is good, he hates what is evil, he, he, he abhors the sin, God hates it, he can't stand the sins in our life, and this is where we find ourselves today. The, the good news is... That God reached down to us despite our sin. In his goodness, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to become the perfect and blameless sacrifice. So, So you and I, we could be forgiven of our sins. Jesus Christ, the son of God, he came and lived a perfect, sinless life on earth. He died on the cross for all of humanity's sins. He was raised again to life so that we might be forgiven of our sins and have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ if we so choose to. Man, I love this so much, church. We even call the gospel the good news. Man, you see goodness flows all throughout Scripture. In his goodness, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. And it's the goodness of God. Romans 2, 4 says it this way. Or do you presume on the riches and of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, if you have a King James Version, it says goodness is meant to lead you to repentance. So here's what happens, and this is what I really hope happens in your life. 
Before you met Christ, someone might have called you a good person. I'm sure your mama did because she thought so highly of you, but you were not a good person. You might be good by the world's definition, but by God's definition, you were not a good person at all. I just want to make sure that we all understand this. My two boys, they are not good by God's definition. Do we understand that? All of us have started there. All of us with Romans chapter two, verse four, or not Romans chapter two, Romans chapter three, verse 10. There is no one that is righteous. No one does good. But out of his goodness, God comes, and this is what we hope that happens. In the moment that you experience the good news, the goodness of God in your life, the gospel, you enter into this relationship with him, and the Holy Spirit, he takes up residence in your life, and he starts to unpack this, this trait of goodness. If you're taking notes, write this down. You are not good for God, but you are good because of God. You're not good for him, you are good because of God. As Christians, as Christ followers, you were made to bear his image. Did you know that? Hey, let me just say this again. If you call yourself a Christian, you were made to bear his image. Believer, as God's representative here in Camden, Arkansas, there are certain things that you were created to do. And one of those things is to be full of goodness, to bear the fruit of goodness. I think there are some men and women here today, and you have forgotten that you were cre- what you were created for. And when this happens, we often find ourselves becoming really good at a lot of things that don't really matter. I mean, some of you, you're a good employee. You're a good husband. You're a good wife. You're a good cook. You're a good hunter. You're good at a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter. Because I think we forget that we have a responsibility to be good. When we forget that, we find ourselves becoming really good at a lot of things that don't really matter. All right, Billy, well, tell me, what am I supposed to be doing? I love what Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says. Listen to this. He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do you see it? Do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I think the other way that to think about goodness is for you and I to pursue what's right and to always avoid and abstain from what's evil. You and I need to be in the practice of doing what's right and not what's wrong. I know I'm not talking to anybody of our church today because there can't be anybody here what I'm fixing to say. But if you notice how we often lean towards one side or the other on these two things, I think there are a lot of people, man, you're really good at being good. Man, you come to church, you're helpful, you're nice to other people. But it's amazing to me that when we step into the weekend, we become a completely different person. There are people who like to party. There are a lot of people who like to drink. There are a lot of people who do the very things that God says, hey, I don't want you doing it. Listen, we can't, on the other side of that, I think there's the righteous police. Your life is defined by what you don't do. Billy, I don't cheat. I I, I don't steal. I don't party. I don't sleep around. I don't smoke. I don't do any of those things. But most of the times, those things aren't necessarily followed up with helping the broken, pursuing God's word, or serving other people. Listen, we can't just be good because of what we don't do, and we just can't let the good we do be an excuse for us to live in sin. There's a balance here. These two go hand in hand. We need to practice moral excellence, doing what we, we know is good and right, and we need to abstain from anything and everything that is evil. 
And when these things start to happen in your life, when you start to live out Micah chapter 6, verse 8, when you are chasing wholeheartedly after God, when you are doing good things and you're abstaining from what is evil, listen, you're going to start living out Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. Man, listen, when you're chasing after God, when you're living a right life, when you're loving kindness and and justice and mercy and God and everything else, you're going to become a good person and good things are going to flow out of you. And the last thing that I want you to know is this, is your heart should always match your actions. What's on the inside should always match what's on the outside. I'm going to go ahead and ask Evan to come up. I want to share something with you that I thought was so interesting. Listen to me today. God is not just concerned about your heart. He's also concerned about your actions. You hear me? God is concerned about your heart, but he's also concerned about what you do. Look at James chapter 4, verse 8 with me. It's going to be up on the screen. He says, cleanse your hands. It's your actions. It's what you do, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Hey, man, that's your attitude. You're double-minded. That's you and I. We straddle the fence. We love God on Sunday, but on Monday, man, we're chasing after different things. I think a better word for double mind this is the word hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. It's this false facade, it's this ideal, this way of life that you are more concerned with how you look and how others perceive you than taking care of the things on the inside. As long as I look good on the outside, everything's fine because nobody knows what's truly going on on the inside. Hey, if that's you today, you say, Billy, man, I've got this incredible facade. I come to church, I look spiritual, I look like I love Jesus, I love God, but man, if you knew what was going on. It's something completely different. Hey, listen to what Jesus himself said in Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup plate that the outside also may be clean. Hey, we spend a lot of time making sure our outside looks good and looks pretty, but can I share just a secret with you today? If you'll put that same energy and power and focus on you cleaning up the inside, the outside takes care of itself. Because when you have goodness on the inside, you know what comes out on the outside? All these fruits of the Spirit start to bubble up and start to run out of you. I think there are a lot of people in churches all across the world today. And man, they are living this verse. They look fantastic on the outside, but the inside, man, it just doesn't match the outside. Paul said that if he did good works without love, prophets mean nothing. was into the second quarter of a high school basketball game when the senior captain of the home team showed up late. Just that morning, his mother unexpectedly passed away from a sudden hemorrhage. She'd been in remission for about five years, a fight with severe cancer, which took a fatal turn and breathed her last breath. That morning, most of the team had been at the hospital with their friend that day, mourning with him and holding him and everything else but the problem was that night they had a huge playoff game the entire team came and and they talked with the coach and they tried to get the, this this basketball game canceled 
hey, let's postpone it. Let's move it to just one day. But let's not play today. But the senior captain encouraged him, said, hey, no, y'all, y'all need to go play. I'll, I'll be fine. So then you could imagine everybody's surprised when this young man came out to cheer on his team. His coach came over and said, hey, listen, do you want to come and sit the bench with us? Brokenhearted guys, man, I just, I really want to play this game. It meant a lot to my mom. I just think I need to. The problem was the rules prevented anyone that wasn't in the pregame roster to play unless the opposing team was granted a technical foul that would give them two free throws. At this point of the game, it was already pretty tight, but this coach, in his goodness, was willing to trade points to comfort his own players. But that's not where the goodness stopped. You you see, the other coach on the other side, he knew everything that happened. He knew that this boy had lost his mom, and he didn't want the free throws. He wanted to let this young player come and play with no penalty. So for a moment, this coach and the referees, they argued over the rules until eventually the referees came and made the decisions. The rules will not be broken. So this visiting team senior captain, he gets the ball and he walks on the court He takes his place at the free throw line. He dribbles a couple times. And then all of a sudden, he gets ready to shoot. But instead of shooting, he just kind of tosses it down. He rolls to the referee. The crowd on the other side can't believe, like, what what is he doing? The referee picks the ball up, comes back, gives him a second shot. He takes his mark. He dribbles a couple times. Takes the ball. Instead of shooting, just kind of throws it at the ground. This young man purposely missed two guaranteed points. And when he did this, the home team crowd, emotionally wrecked, gave this young man a standing ovation. Because everyone in that crowd saw a rare act of kindness that was birthed out of the goodness of a coach and of a player. Oh, he says, family, I want you to hear me. Goodness begins with God. And our goodness grows with God. And our goodness will always remain with God. You can't do it in and of yourselves. It has to come from Him. So here's my challenge. If you're pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you're something different. Then can I challenge you to do what Jesus said? Hey, take care of the inside. John 15, 5 says, abide in me in my word. And when you do this, you will bear the fruit of goodness in your life. It starts with him. You can't do it in and of yourself as much as you want to try. It has to come through you. If I get you to close your eyes and bow your head, I don't know this morning how God's word has settled in your heart and your life. I don't know if there are other people that are waiting to see what God's word and And this Sunday is going to do for you if it's going to change you or affect you on a Monday. But listen to me. There are people that are watching your life. And I would hate to know that my actions and what I say and what I do keeps people from responding to the gospel. So let us be a church that comes and says, we want to put goodness at the top of our list. We want it to overflow so kindness comes out. And goodness will bring others to repentance because of the goodness of God. So where are you at today? Do you need more goodness in your life? Man, I do. That's you today. Can I just challenge you to lean in, press into God this week? 
Father, thank you so much for today. Father, thank you so much for this word. Father, thank you so much for how good you really are. Father, in days that I'm not good, Father, you are always good. Goodness flows naturally from you. Father, thank you so much for the the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your salvation that you so freely give. And Father, I pray right now, if there's somebody here today and they've, they've never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Father, it begins with you. And that seed of goodness is going to grow and produce. So Father, whatever you are drawing us to today, whatever you're leading us to today, Father, I pray that we would be obedient. I pray we'd follow you. I pray we'd say yes to your name. We love you. Praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.